Hey Northview, good to be with you again. My name is Jesse. I'm one of the campus pastors here out in Mission. And I hope you've had a good, a good summer and have been able to get outside and enjoy uh, the weather or take a little vacation. Um, fall is coming though. This is the last week in our, our sermon series through the book of, of Proverbs. And uh, yeah, we're, we're jumping into some, some new stuff and fall is coming. And so just want to get you prepped for that. We're going to have a bunch of 50-person gatherings at the Mission Campus and at the, the Downs Road Campus and, and East Abbey and Central Abbey. So stay tuned for more information uh, about that and for fall kickoff and all those kinds of things. Let's jump into God's Word now. We're going to be studying Proverbs chapter 6 together, but let me start by uh, sharing a story. My wife and I uh, got married, and shortly after that, we made one of the biggest mistakes of our lives. We moved to Alberta. So that's not true. It was the biggest mistake of our life. And we, we found ourselves in Alberta. We moved in the summer, and her birthday was coming up, and we hadn't made any friends yet. So us two losers, we decided to take off to Jasper to celebrate her birthday. So we stayed at the Jasper Park Lodge. It's, it's beautiful there. Uh, we enjoyed a, a lovely meal in the, the town of Jasper at a restaurant called Evil Dave's. I had the wild boar meatloaf. If you're ever in Jasper, I highly recommend it. It was delicious. Uh, we went for some hikes and some walks and just, uh, yeah, enjoyed the beauty of Jasper. But in the middle of the night, uh, I was woken up and I, I didn't really understand what was going on. It sounded like two people were kind of having an argument outside of our room. And finally, as, as clear as day, I could hear this woman shout. She said, I can't believe you cheated on me. And they started to argue some more, and she, she said again, I can't believe you cheated on me. And this went on for, for quite a while to the point where hotel staff or, or a security guard or someone, I, I heard them go into their room and say, hey, you guys, you guys got to keep it down. You're, you're disturbing other guests. You're waking people up. And that calmed them down for a little bit. But the argument started to, to go again. And, and she kept repeating that, I can't believe you cheated on me. This went on throughout the night. See, more than that was annoying for us or an inconvenience for us, it was sad to, to listen to this woman be absolutely heartbroken and destroyed by what her, her husband or, or partner or whoever it was had done to her. See, I, I haven't been a pastor very long, but in my, my short time as a pastor, I can say with a, a relatively high degree of confidence, there might not be anything more heartbreaking, more destructive than adultery in the context of a covenant relationship of marriage. See, when the Bible talks and warns us about not engaging in adultery or fleeing from adultery, we all nod our heads in agreement. Right. That, that's good advice. And the reason we do that is because every single one of us, whether that's in our own marriage or in our families or in our friends or extended families, have tasted the bitterness of adultery. Adultery destroys marriages. It destroys families. It destroys reputations. See, if, I'm going to hesitate to call someone a cheater or an adulterer because of, of the significance of that claim. And yet what I find interesting is that several times throughout Scripture, God calls us, his people, adulterers. So James, Jesus' brother, writes a letter to, to his church that he's pastoring, to the church in, in Jerusalem. And he reflects on the way they're, they're treating each other and, and how they've kind of been uh, deceived and, and are becoming friends with, with the world. And he looks at them and he says, you adulterous people. Throughout the Old, Old Testament, God calls his people adulterous. Jesus even looks at the Pharisees and says, you adulterous generation. You see, and the reason James and Jesus and God 
can, can say those things, can make those claims, is because the way adultery is or, or the definition of adultery or the, or the way it works is when someone strays outside of a covenant relationship. And so just like man and woman, when they get, they get married, they, they, they form a covenant relationship and the act of straying outside of that is, is the act of adultery, so it goes for us who are in a, a covenant relationship with our God. When we stray and we go after other gods, we commit adultery. Today we're, we're going to look at, at a Proverbs, Proverbs chapter, chapter 6, and the warning is against adultery. So we're going to listen to the wisdom that that has for, for marriages and for, and for relationships, but we're also going to see how this speaks to our relationship with God. We're going to look at both of those, those arenas, if you will, and I'm going to suggest that, that we're going to learn three things. The first is, is the seduction of adultery, the second is the destruction of adultery, and the third is just the final point, because I couldn't think of another word that ended in T-I-O-N. So the seduction of adultery, the destruction of adultery, and then our final point. The first one is this, the seduction of adultery. Turn with me in, in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. It says this, My son, keep your father's command, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart, fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way to life. I was driving recently with my family in our vehicle, and my son was bugging our, our daughter. And I warned him a few times, like, Maverick, son's name, stop doing it, stop doing it, stop doing it. Finally, I turned around and I gave him, like, my best dad look. I was like, boy, stop it right now. And I, you know, gave him the look. And it worked. So we kept driving and he didn't bug his sister anymore. So that was good. And so we got to our destination. And I got out and I said, Maverick, I, I'm proud of you. Thank you for, for stopping and, and for listening to dad. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, dad, like you only just need to tell me over and over and over again and then I'll listen. And I kind of had to chuckle, but he's not wrong. See, what, what we have at the very beginning of this proverb is, proverb is the, the command of a father or the teaching of a mother, and they're saying that we need to hear it over and over and over again. We need to bind it on our, on our hearts and fasten it around our, our necks, and these commands, we, we need to listen to them, but we need to hear them over and over and over again. So what is the command that this father and mother are seeking to give their son? Well, it's this, verse 24, keeping you from your neighbor's wife. From the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. For a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife preys on your very life. There was a commercial uh, recently selling barbecues, and the commercial went a little something like this. There was a, a man that drove up in a, a nice vehicle and he pulled up into his, uh, his driveway and he got out and he said, you know, everyone gets to a point in their life where they deserve an upgrade. And then he walked into his house and in the background was, was his wife and the camera was still on him and he looked at the camera and he says, you know, at, at some point they're just not as hot as they used to be. And he walks into his, his backyard now and the wife is kind of following him and it says, you know, I should have sent her to the curb a long time ago. And then the camera pans back and he puts his hand on his new barbecue and he says, that's why I got a new grill. The tagline of the commercial was, when the fire goes out in your grilling 
relationship by a Napoleon grill. This commercial plays on this idea that at, at some point in a relationship, the fire kind of goes out. So you're going to find yourself in a place where, where you need an upgrade where you need to look for something that's uh, a, a little better, a little faster, a little nicer, and you're probably going to find it here or there. And, and the advice from the mom and dad in this proverb is, that's rubbish. Do not look elsewhere. Yet so many have failed to heed this advice. See, when, when pressed as to why people often are engaged in extramarital affairs, why they're continuing to, in, to engage in, in these relationships, the rationale is often this. Well, they, they offer me something that, that my spouse doesn't. They understand me better. They're, they're better looking. He, he provides for me more. And so on and so forth. See, adultery seduces us away by offering us something sweeter, something better, something more immediate. Elsewhere in Proverbs, it says that, that an adulterous wife, the lips of an adulterous wife drip honey and are smoother than oil. You see, the road to adultery is started down the path of seduction. James chapter 1 puts it like this. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to to death. Our desires lead us down the path of sin. So it's interesting in the book of James, as I mentioned earlier, when it talks about James calling the people an adulterous people, the reason he does that is because they become friends with the world. So you've looked at the desires of the world and what it offers you, and you've entered into a relationship with them. You've been seduced by the world. In the Old Testament, when, when God looks upon his people and calls them adulterous, it's because he looks upon a people who, who have looked at, at other nations and maybe their crops are going better because they have more rainfall or this or, or, or other reasons like that. And they begin to worship those gods because, because they think they're providing something that their God isn't. Or perhaps they look at their army and they see that their armies are bigger and they have chariots and we don't have chariots. And so I'm going to worship that king or bow down to that king or worship their God so that I can get what our God isn't providing. The path to adultery starts down the road of seduction. Two things I want us to think about. If that's true, then here's the first one. Beware. Our world is seducing us. Don't be foolish. The, the, the way that, that we are, 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 are constantly being uh, told to, to seek peace or to seek comfort or, or to seek power or, or whatever it is, is always ways that don't involve us worshiping the one true God. And the reason I think that, that we, we don't see that or, or maybe we don't understand that we are being seduced is because we think we're, we're, we're proud. We say, ah, you know, like, I, I'm not going to fall for that. My wife and I, a few years ago, went to a marriage conference. And I remember when my wife brought up the idea of like, hey, we, there's this you know, weekend thing and, and there's some good speakers and stuff and it, it'd be good for us. And I was like, good for us? Are you kidding me? We got like a perfect marriage, like 9 out of 10, maybe 9.5 out of 10. We don't need this. You're married to me, right? Like, come on. And, 
Yet we went there and it wasn't like 10 minutes in as this pastor is explaining to us what a, what a biblical marriage looks like and, and how a husband is, is supposed to love their wife that I am beginning to become more and more convicted. Realizing that we don't have a perfect marriage, not, not even close. That I had been developing habits or doing certain things that were demeaning to my wife and, and quickly realizing that I was treating my wife the way the world says that I should. My pride kept me from understanding that I was being seduced in that way. So here's the first one. The world is, is tempting us. Be, beware. The second is this. If you sense yourself being seduced, the, 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 the advice I would give you is simple. Flee. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Flee from sexual immorality. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Flee. So, so, so when that person texts you or, or you, you know you start gating a little bit of a relationship and you think you can handle it, flee. When, when they offer you something that you know you probably, flee. When the world suggests you can you know, have this and worship God at the same time, flee. The right response to the seduction that, that leads to adultery is to flee. And yet we don't always flee, do we? So where does it lead? Well, let's, let's keep reading. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it costs him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. Second point we're considering is the destruction of adultery. I was reading an article in the New York Times recently, and, and the author of it was reflecting on a study done out of a university in Texas. And, and the study surveyed a bunch of people in the United States, uh, asking them questions about uh, adultery and infidelity in their own relationships. Here was the conclusion of uh, this researcher. He writes, when the benefits appear to outweigh the costs, it seems that both men and women are wonderfully good at committing adultery. It's very interesting that the phrasing that this researcher uses, wonderfully good at committing adultery. See, what he found is that internally, when the proposition to commit adultery arises, there's this cost-benefit analysis that's going on in the minds and the hearts of people. Thinking, okay, so, so the benefit is, is this, this, and this, and the cost is, you know what, I think the benefit outweighs the cost, so I'm, I'm going to do it. Here, the advice from mom and dad in this Proverbs is that no matter how you stack it, the benefit never outweighs the cost because it always leads to you being destroyed. This is how, how the author, can, can you really scoop fire into your lap and think that you're not going to get burned? Really? Can, can you walk on hot coals without burning your feet? G good luck with that. 
talks about a thief stealing something. And so in, in our culture, if someone would steal because they're hungry, we'd, we'd show them a little bit of mercy, but we'd still make them pay it back. The mom and dad's advice here is how much more so for someone who's going to commit adultery are we going to make them pay it back? The advice kind of culminates with this last phrase where it says, but a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. His lot in life is blows and disgrace and shame. Adultery destroys. But why? Like, what's the big deal? What's, what's so, so significant about a little something on the side? Well, the answer is because adultery is more than just sex with the wrong person. Adultery forms a union with someone that you're not called to love. It's, it's seeking intimacy without commitment. It's, it's passion without its proper context. And it's love without faithfulness. Ultimately, it's, it's the breaking of a bond and the covenant that was established when two people looked each other in the eye and said, I do. And in, in, in Scripture, it's, it's such a serious offense that it offers us a rare, and I say rare, justification for divorce. God's saying adultery is so significant that I will allow people to do something that I hate and he hates it. And that is divorce. It might even be better to thought of the very act of adultery accomplishes divorce. So in in Jeremiah chapter 3, you have God, he says, have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She's gone up on every high, high hill under every tree and has committed adultery there, has worshiped other gods. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Adultery destroys. There's one story in particular in the Old Testament uh, that's a tough one to swallow, to be honest. It's a story of, of Hosea and it really highlights our adultery as, as, our adultery, sorry, as, as God's people. Now, Hosea was, was written in a time, and maybe when, when Israel was, was at its worst, worshiping all kinds of, of other gods and engaged in all kinds of immoral behavior. And so this is what, what God says to the prophet Hosea. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer. In a little bit later in in this passage, it goes on to explain that Gomer and Hosea went on to have children. And God names these children. And you've got to remember, when when God names children or, or people, it's always very significant. So they have a son first. And their son's name, translated or what, we, what, it, what it meant, was, was this. I will punish you. I will end you, was the first son's name. A little bit later, they, they have a daughter, and, and God names the daughter of, of, this, of Hosea and Gomer, and her name is, You Are Not Loved. And the last name of their last son is, You Are Not My People, and I Am Not Your God. In the same way adultery destroys marriages, and we've seen that in, in our, our own lives and our own families, it also destroys our relationship with God, our, our spiritual 
adultery, our, our worshiping of other gods, destroys the covenant relationship with him. I don't want us to miss that today. Right, right? like, in the same way that if I was to, to tell my wife that I had committed adultery, it's not some insignificant thing. The same way our, our sin impacts our relationship with God. So what is impacting your relationship with God? What is seducing you away from loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? Because it, it will destroy us. Like, like is, it, is it power? Have you bought it into the, the, the lies of the world that, that you can treat others in, in a certain way and, and gain control of your life and, and power? Flee from that. Is it sex? Is it, is it safety? In, 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 is it trusting in your bank account? Is it sports? Sports make a horrible God. The Canucks are going to let us down, that they will lose and it will destroy our, our attitudes and we'll treat people poorly because we'll be so sad and frustrated because we've made them our God. Is it self-image? Is it family? Is it, is it a need to have the, the perfect family? And, and when that gets taken away, do you, do you feel how, how that destroys you? What is seducing you away from loving your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? For me, it, it's recognition. I crave approval. And I can have this, this insatiable need to feel like I'm, I'm helpful or I'm, I'm important or, or I'm contributing in some way. See, I can delight more in the praise of, of people than I can in God. And, and Paul's words ring so true to me when he says, if I were still please, trying to please man, I would no longer be a servant of Christ. And in those moments as I'm seduced away by the praise of, of other people and, and it causes me to do things that, that God would not have me to do, I'm reminded that I am a foolish adulterer. I hope you see that we're all adulterers. The, the label fits. God calls us those things because we are those things. So fellow adulterers, what does that mean for us? Let's look at the final point. Here's how this proverb finishes. For jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not accept any compensation. He will refuse a bribe, however great it is. I was taught as a little guy that jealousy was a bad thing. Mostly, uh, it was when I would go to school, and it would be recess, and all the kids would open up their lunch kits, and they'd pull out Dunkaroos, which is a gift from God. Dunkaroos are amazing. Or fruit roll-ups, or, or Gushers. Those were great, too. And I would open my lunch kit, and there it was again. Homemade oatmeal raisin cookies. And I'd go home, and be like, Mom, like, I'm done with the oatmeal raisin cookies. Can we please, please buy some Dunkaroos or some Gushers? And my mom would look me in the eye and say, Jealous, Jesse, don't be jealous. Or I'd want to play with my sister's toys and I'd be mad that she got something that I didn't and my mom would look at me and say, Jesse, don't be jealous. See, that form of jealousy is not a good thing. But that's not what this jealousy in this passage is talking about. See, it's not morally right or wrong, this jealousy. Rather, it's simply a product of the covenant relationship. So, so let me explain a little bit. When I um, first met my wife, I knew pretty quickly on that she was going to be um, my wife. She didn't know that, but I did. 
And so uh, I was like getting clever in terms of how I could spend time with her. She was an education major. I was a business major. So like naturally we didn't have a lot of classes together or whatever. And so I would get creative and she'd be studying with her education friends in the education part of the library. And I'd find some weird reason to go and study in the same corner of the library. Or she'd be eating in one spot and I'd make sure I'd told my friends that we should go eat over there. Or I'd somehow uh, sit beside her at, at basketball games or whatever. I wanted to spend time with her. And one of the things that I noticed about uh, her interactions with other guys, particularly during that time, is that it frustrated me, especially this one dude, and he was a loser. So she would uh, be doing like education projects with this guy, and they'd be working together on a project or something, and she'd laugh at his jokes, and it would make me angry. First of all, the jokes were dumb, but second of all, I, I, I didn't like it that she was laughing at this other person's jokes. She'd be working on a, a project with him and, and they'd, I don't know, maybe he'd make a, a, a clever remark or she'd like praise him for like the, the work that he did. And I, I hated that. Now, now, what was going on in my heart? What, what frustrated me about my wife laughing at this, this guy's jokes? It was my, the jealousy. See, I knew, even though she didn't, that our relationship was, was heading towards marriage, and marriage is this exclusive union between one man and one woman. It, it, there's things in marriage that are not to be shared. And so I was already posturing myself to, to delight in the fact that, that the affections of my wife were to be upon me. I, I wanted her affections. I didn't like that she laughed at, at this person's jokes. I wanted her to laugh at my jokes. And my, this example of, of jealousy is, she was doing nothing wrong. We weren't even dating at the time. But this example of jealousy is, is a good reminder or an illustration of the fact that God is jealous for us in a similar way. See, Moses is, is talking to God in, in the book of, of Exodus. And God flat out tells Moses that my name is jealous. My, my very character is jealous. He, he will not tolerate us divided, uh, dividing our, our loyalties. He wants all of our affections. He, he desires them. He wants all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. He will not put up with us sharing these with other gods. He's jealous for us. So when we stray, when we go after other gods, when we commit spiritual adultery against this jealous God, what does he do to his covenant partners caught in adultery? Let's finish the story of, of Hosea. Here's what God says to Hosea after his wife has left them and prostituted herself. He says, go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods, and love the sacred raisin cakes. I love that. Sacred raisin cakes. What is that all about? Just think of it as worshiping other gods. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. God, in, God instructs Hosea to go and buy his wife Gomer out of prostitution. And the text is clear, it's a very expensive price that he has to pay to, to get his wife Gomer out of prostitution. But, but his jealousy, it demands it. He can't watch his bride give herself over any longer. 
See, this righteous jealousy, it stirs up wrath, but this righteous jealousy also fuels a pursuing and reconciling love. The only way to understand those two things is through the lens of the cross. See, at the cross, adulterers like you and me, who, because of our adultery, have received the certificate of divorce, we've been separated by God, and yet, in, in, in his jealousy, God sends Jesus. In his pursuing love, he sends Jesus to die a death on the cross and to receive the certificate of divorce on our behalf. It's why on the cross Jesus says, My God, why have you forsaken me? He takes all the consequences of our spiritual adultery, all the, the, the pursuing of, of other lovers in the form of, of other gods, of, of all the worship of, of other idols. Jesus takes all of that upon himself so that we can enjoy an eternal, faithful relationship with God. One of my favorite things to do as a pastor is officiate weddings. There's one part in particular that I love. It's that moment when the groomsmen are all on the stage, the bridesmaid have done their like slow walk down, and the doors close, and the congregation rises, and the doors open again, and there is the bride. She walks down uh, the aisle, and I love looking over at the, the, the groom, and like the tears are kind of there. He's trying to hold it back, trying to hold it together. They rarely do. There's like some interactions, and then the, the bride looks up to her husband. And in that moment, you can't help but, but look at this bride and realize how beautiful she is. Like the hair is perfect. The eyebrows have been painted on just nice. The dress is, is spotless and, and wrinkle-free. It, it's, it's, it's beautiful. She's radiant. She's prepared herself to meet her husband. This is an incredible picture for us Christians. One day we are going to stand before our God. We're going to be presented to, to our God. He, he is the groom. We, we are the bride of Christ. And if we're honest with ourselves, we will not be spotless or blameless or, or radiant or perfect in any sense. We're adulterers. So how are we to present ourselves to a holy, perfect God? That's where Christ comes in. See, Christ takes us and he presents us holy and spotless and blameless and perfect before our holy God. See, see in, in the gospel, our, our adultery, our sin doesn't get the final say. Our God's grace does. The power of the gospel gets the final say. It's why Paul can write in 1 Thessalonians, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who, raised, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus took upon the certificate of divorce that we deserve so that we could, joy, we could enjoy a covenant relationship with our God. Let's turn from our adulterous ways and let the gospel get the final say. Let's repent of our adultery and enjoy a covenant relationship with our God. The gospel is more powerful than our adultery. The gospel's also more powerful than adultery in our earthly marriages, though. We need to, to remember this. It's, it's, it's an impossible ask, I know. But, but as, as Christians, 
as people who have been saved, as fellow adulterers who have been saved, what if the gospel got the final say in our marriages and not adultery? Friends, can we press into that jealous, reconciling, pursuing love in our marriages, in our church? Can we refuse to let adultery get the final say? Can we be advocates for this reconciling love that Jesus can offer? In our own marriages, in the marriages of our friends and family, may we not forget that the gospel is more powerful than adultery. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for your grace, and I'm thankful that you're a jealous God. Father, you're jealous for our affections, and and you will not tolerate us pursuing and loving and worshiping anything other than you. God, our hearts are so torn at that. We love to seek uh, pleasure and go after other gods, and yet you call us back time and time again. Father, I pray that we would be a people that are quick to repent, quick to come back to our, our jealous God who loves us and pursues us. Father, I also pray that you would be with us in our earthly marriages. Father, that we would recognize that the power of the gospel, that that how it was able to take sinners like us and present us faithful and pure and blameless before our holy God, that the very power that exists there can be seen in our marriages as well. Oh God, heal our marriages. Father, help us flee from sexual immorality. And may adultery not get the final say. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.